You know Geiger's bookstore across the street? I think I may have passed. You know Geiger by sight? Geiger's in his early 40s, medium height, fattish, soft all over, Charlie Chan mustache, well-dressed, wears a black hat, affects the knowledge of antiques and hasn't any. And, oh, yes, I think his left eye is glass. Hello. 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 My name is Michael Delgado, and I'm your host. Normally, I come to you from the magnificent Mayfair Hotel, but because of the circumstances, well, we can't go to the hotel. Walking Marlowe, the shop dog through empty streets, I was struck at how beautiful our city at rest really is and how the amazing creative energy of its citizens still radiates even from under quarantine. As a bookseller, there's no shortage of reading material, but, I, but I've been drawn toward our collection of L.A.-based poets. I contacted some of our most talented and invited them to read a piece on a theme of L.A. as an idea, as a unique sense of cultural place, time, and energy. Who better than our finest wordsmiths to remind us of why we live here and why we would live no place else? At the end of this episode, I'll back announce, as they say in the radio biz, naming each of the poems and their authors. I'll also provide important information about each of the poets, including where to learn more about them and how to buy their books. But for now, I want you to imagine yourself in your choice of quintessential mode of L.A. transportation. Maybe you see yourself in a shark-skin turquoise 67 Impala, low to the ground, or maybe you're zipping along in your Porsche Speedster. Perhaps you're lounging in the back of your stretch limo, or have your arms dangling from the ape hangers of a panhead Harley. You could be burning rubber in your muscle car as you finally catch Brian Wilson's uncatchable 409. Giddy up. Have you buckled up for your tour? We'll start with the wet dream of a conquistador which is also the name of a piece of shit Chrysler car from the 70s. So from the city that is everywhere and nowhere at once, the city at the intersection of a coastal desert vanishing point and a spiraling tower of make-believe, sit back, slip your head into gear, and enjoy the ride. the music of your shoulders, watch the tension of CD, turn to A-track, I read your nonfiction. If that's not a crush, what is? You live 20 years away from Richie Havens turning up at a cafe. I watch the liner notes of your wrist like a fortune teller. Jerome Robbins choreographs your neighborhood with the pale peony. I heard there's a tree in Washington Square Park dripping with handcuffs. Oh, sings of the cobwebs of contra 
addiction. Did you ever wear sandals? Did you hold a megaphone? When did you start wearing cufflinks? When's the last time you played a bug song? When's the last time you kissed a girl who memorized Bob Dylan's bootleg releases? When's the last time you used groovy as a verb? When's the last time you hummed a righteous and hard song? When's the last time you went to Kim's video store and rented hair? How many roads fork into most travel? The asphalt is pinstripe. One fourth of the time, I don't know what decade I'm in. I watched you watch the parade. I'm the one who whispered in your ear. The Army McCarthy hearings aren't available on DVD. I'm in the park feeding the pigeons bread and circuses. Atop the graves of old Chinatown and at the foot of Oliveira is Union Station, the potential site of our mass transit redemption after having sold our soul to big oil so long ago. This call is now being recorded. Union Station. I needed a timetable for my heart. It always arrived too early, departed too late, wandered, lost on platforms. I needed you to steamroller the creases I folded too many times. I was hurry and drag, beat slow, sink steps. I came in pieces like cartons tied with baling wire. You held tight against the spillage and random punches. Oh, I loved you like speed, like fast exits and jackrabbit starts. You held all the tickets. You opened the gates. It was two minutes to boarding, and we pulled out. 
downtown. New luxury condos bivouac amid the wartime theaters. Michelin star restaurateurs open temples of hot cuisine, just a spoon's throw from Skid Row. It was a cold night, colder than a lover's eyes when she tells you it's no longer good. And Harry, he was just warming up to some cheap whiskey and a wine-net he'd picked up at Johnny's Shrimp Boat on 3rd and Main. Saturday night. Saturday night and the boys are out. Saturday night on the edge of a dream in Rat City. So Harry, he got by sweeping floors at the Main Street gym, stealing rubbing alcohol when things got bad and he couldn't cop a swig. And he was ready, ready for the night, ready for the night like a fence for a patsy. He was put his hand on Mary's ass, they were all named Mary, and says, Baby, don't you know I just love you? And she smiles like she heard it all before, but it's always the first time, and it's always the last time, and she believes it anyway, cause Harry, he has a dream, and a fifth, and it's Saturday night, Saturday night, and the boys are out, Saturday night on the edge of a dream in Rat City. Man, there ain't nothing stopping us. Ain't nothing keeping us here. I got vision, baby. I got vision, clear and simple. There's a place over here, a place I want to show you, where guys like me make music to the wind and blow this town ragged. Walk this way, honey. I ain't going to take you no place you don't want to go. So Mary, she huddles up real close. And the Mexicans jeer by, laying rubber like a shill turning 21, and blind dogs piss in the street. But Harry, he don't see none of it, because it's Saturday night, and the boys are out. Saturday night on the edge of a dream in Rat City. The boys were out behind the A1 factory shoe outlet. Russell was there with a saxy pond every Monday, blowing sweet like a junkie's promises, and Cal with his horn that he got in Korea, and Harry, he gets out a clarinet somewhere out of the air like magic. This one's for you, baby. And all that poetry that's in a man's soul comes tumbling out. Notes tripping over each other for the pain of it. Fire caught on a Saturday night that you cheat all week for. Saturday night when the boys are out. Saturday night on the edge of a dream. In Rat City. We'll head north, although it feels like we're headed west. No matter. We end up in the east, specifically Koreatown. Sitting on a gallon paint can, delivering a weird brand of royalty to the curb of Vermont Avenue, 
his square face brown, a cross between some ancient pharaoh and a gargoyle. His hands rest on blue jean knees, fingers pointed down. Meanwhile, traveling south, bungeed secure in the back of a flatbed truck, a laughing Buddha stands. He signals touchdown while passing a neighborhood bar and grill, where from the window a neon sign proclaims natural light. This time we are actually headed north. We're going to leave the streets for the highway. It's the only place the city can really be together and apart at the same time. Swift Coronas and vintage Mercedes-Benzes serenade, piston strumming piston as they cruise Highway 134. Radios blare the twin talk-talk of the born-again and arena football. James the Godfather croons this is a man's world for the lady boomers who still believe it as they veer south onto the five. Skirt, Chavez, Ravine, and every displaced Ruiz, Ramos, and Rodriguez built into seals of faux diamonds for every boy who prays to play past summer. Every driver slows for the cops or 18-wheelers, loops the river Los Angeles with its confessions buried in concrete under a stubborn scent of smog, last bloom of jacarandas, and can't squeeze a drop of rain until tomorrow. Some of us turn north onto the 110 and head for our weekend, so there's simply no reason for all this horsepower to come to such a hard stop just south of the Arroyo Seco, except that yesterday, minutes fell back into the groove they came from, and today, rush hour finds itself shrouded in a dark so black, all we can see in the early November sky is a hunter's moon, that orange-red gem, that highwaymen gathering up our lost seasons. We'll take an off-ramp into a sun-drenched suburb, where the last remaining acre from a once expansive orange grove pushes back against the valley heat with its fragrant blossoms. A flock of pink flamingos moved in across the street and set up plastic people on the lawn. They've faced them out this way, hands molded to their chins, looking more like us as night comes on. Downtown, the waitresses are starving in their aprons. The watchman gets fainter by the hour. It's difficult listening time, object response time, time for the tears of things. There has to be a way to help it along, a way to dry the rain as it falls so we can keep these clothes. Let's go to the woods and hang a painting of this room on every tree. We'll go to sea and on each sailboat fix a picture of a hotel bed. Or how about we stay home and talk out every song between us until we sound like heavy, stupid birds. So while we're in the valley, uh, well, why don't we head over Lancashire Way and uh, stop for a cold one at the Palomino Club. 
He was a poor man's Chris Christopherson, cowboy style with a 70s edge, wedge of gray beard, voice of gravel, Lee jeans, long and lean with a belly, and breath like whiskey, smoke, beer, and dirt, torn western shirt from the Union Rescue Mission where he'd stay when it came time for eviction. She was a valley girl in skin and bone, had her own phone since she was 10, a rich man's daughter, at least in her own mind. Designer clothes charged to credit cards, $5 housefrau dresses from thrift stores, scores of made-to-look worn-out boots, an indication to the world at large that she'd lived some. At the Coronet Pub, where she would go to write and he would go to drink, she found him one night chain-smoking teratons and strumming a nylon string guitar. And she listened at the bar while he sang beautiful brown eyes in her honor. Her boyfriend mixed drinks for a living around the corner at the rain check room. He was a once-known, now-unknown movie star with a flashy car and a hair-trigger temper. He still had his looks, was well-preserved, only with an axe to grind for finding himself permanently out of the loop and relegated to wages. She was a wannabe ingenue of sorts, waitress job as last resort, acting class, the rare audition. She sucked. Everyone told her to quit and be a writer, so she'd sit in dark bars and scribble-scrabble, then head back to the West Hollywood shack where once she'd had lots of sex, and then no sex with the rain check bartender. They'd lived this way for seven years, parallel parked and sometimes intersected, staying out till dawn, sleeping till noon, frequenting local cafes in the late afternoon where they'd scour the want ads, make lists of goals on legal pads, then read them back to each other. Lists of goals made them feel purposeful. Still, she was alone in this world, and she knew it. And the guy with cowboy style at the coronet made her feel less so. He was a Vietnam vet who'd been sprayed with Agent Orange. He was legendary as a barroom fixture and for making scenes, and known for coming clean when he'd drink, which was always. He was missing a finger that he'd lost in a fight. Under a cracked La Cienega streetlight, he let her touch the stump. Then he touched her cheek for good measure. He was a limo driver by trade, he said, and invited her to visit him in the parking lot of the Beverly Hills Hotel, where Davel kept the stretches. When she appeared the following day, they lay tucked away in an empty limo, and he kissed her. She closed her eyes and pretended that they were in the back seat, not the front pretended that he was Chris Christopherson and she was Barbara Streisand in the remake of A Star is Born. Later, in his friend's Murphy bed, instead of making love, they snuggled while he drank can after can of old Milwaukee and sang softly in her ear. She could taste the beer and the sweat dripping from his face, and it reminded her of a tired horse after the race or rain drying on a screen door. What's more, his blankets were coarse, Salvation Army green. She gave him her headshot upon request, 
And while they were both still undressed, he gave her a work tape of original songs, mostly about existential longing and destitution. He said he loved her more than his so-called Nashville dream, and that the best and worst memories he'd ever seen were of war. She imagined her life as a sad country love song. She already had the outfit. Long ringlets for hair, ruffled floral dress, worn out looking boots, and an oversized turquoise ring. How she loved to listen to him sing. Hillbilly boogie, honky tonk, the Bakersfield sound, rockabilly swing. A man who drink and come clean, read horsemanship magazine, and practice roping on a plastic supermarket steer. His fledgling career and half-baked heart right out of the pages of a Sam Shepard play, like the one she'd been rehearsing for days in acting class. But the men in most country songs and Western-style plays, the ones that look so good on stage, fall apart from their own sense of rage and that magnetic pull towards doom. Their desert motel room, a prison of whiskey, smoke, beer, and dirt. Wedge of gray beard, voice of gravel, Lee jeans, torn western shirt. Winding through the canyon, rising, we emerge at the top of Mulholland Drive and take in a 180-degree view of the city as she opens up like a gaping earthquake fault. As the sun sets, we see the hopes of every starlet start to sparkle in the dusk. Don't move east, Quake Queen, not even a couple feet. Don't slide open in daylight in public places. Strike a bargain with Earth. Hey, you know how to close deals. L.A., comfort our stalled careers. Budge faster our 6 p.m. autos stuck to the 101. On the east side, keep secret your secret places and byways, staircase of tiles and crushed shells. Chicken boy, don't let the Westsiders know. Water your stub-toed river a bit, hard-to-drown-in river. Write your own poem, big girl, without using the word dream. See? Impossible. Even for me. Do that thing you do at night. Let your erased past ghost dance down your strip of boulevard, sunset, stretch of street that began beyond your city limits, anyone's limits given to vice and mobster crime. Now, argon, helium, xenon, neon. If blood could shine, if light could bleed, 
It would be neon. Or it would be L.A. Tinseltown, where waiters hone their thespian chops tableside, and a rich history of writers find their way onto a blacklist of one kind or another. I like to read and write in coffee shops. Old habit, escape from noisy lodgings of bygone days. I share the place with gentrified locals fixated on glowing screens if alone, yakking about what's cool if with others, talking about dreams of screenplays and auditions with the eagerness of youthful promise. They pay me no mind, the old fellow in threadbare clothes scribbling in a pocket notebook with a fountain pen. The young barista, pierced, braided, tattooed, took the money and handed me a coffee. As we made the exchange, I said cheerily, Thanks, comrade. Leaning in and glancing side to side conspiratorially, the barista whispered back, How did you know I was a communist? 1769. Seafaring explorer Gaspar de Portola camps where Barrington and Ohio streets crash just blocks from the cornerstone of L.A.'s National Veterans Cemetery. Ignoring the indigenous coastal Tongva people, Father Juan Crespi thinks that two of their sacred springs remind him of the tears that Santa Monica shed over the early transgressions of her son. Does the sea bear a slight resemblance to my eyes? That would explain why it intimidates me why I've made myself a bloodless statue, fear of death by water. Only at twilight do I dance to the humming music of the cod in a dress made of luminous plankton. It means almost nothing. White light is absorbed by black iron, creating the skeletal cutouts of a massive oil field as it presses itself against the surf, even as it gives way to the relentless tidal surge of sun worshippers. Ocean Park is where 145 abstract landscapes, meditations in oil, like Monet's water lilies, flowered from a studio apartment one block from the beach where I love to dip my body like the horsehair brushes Richard Diebenkorn used when he offered Los Angeles his art as generously as the sea offers these streets its marine layer gone by noon. 80 works of abstraction, prints, paintings, drawings, collages gone from the Orange County Museum of Art by April, like the tweets of critics, my fave show in ages, epic. What remains of my ocean park house, 80 foot hole, dirt sad and deep, the developers pallet heavy machinery dips to make the parking underground blistering. I walk the series of streets, Forth and Ashland or Pier, perpendicular like Diebenkorn's lines, or the handle of a wooden stalked brush that smudges a palm tree in the backyard, silhouettes swimming in greens and blues tempered by the goldenrod horizon ever gone. Ringing the county of L.A. are the sprawling exurbs, places like Lancaster, Palmdale, gateways to the Mojave, home to scrub pine, sagebrush, the space shuttle, and cowboys with the right stuff. I drive our son around every day at noon. 
I follow the dirt road to a rental, nestled between a large horse corral and an empty pig pen. The hog has been slaughtered. It waits in the yard to be buried with a backhoe. Desert pockets every shadow, all saturated in light. It's difficult to register distance. The hog's head seems closer than it is, smiling ten yards off. Sun on their backs, red horses burn as they round the gate, passing trees ripe with crows. Fragments of the hog-like meet this orb of birds. I lift our son from the back seat, his chest rising, collapsing, and time with bird wings. Sound of throwing knives, edges rotating in air without the treat of striking. Now, I want you to imagine that the ride you selected for yourself at the beginning of the tour is now glowing a bright iridescent green just like in the finale of Repo Man, when the 64 Chevy Malibu carries Harry Dean Stanton and Emilio Estevez to float high above the city. say I love Los Angeles is to say I love its shadows and night lights, its meandering streets, the stretch of sunset-colored beaches. It's to say I love the squawking wild parrots, the palm trees that fail to topple in robust winds, that within a half hour of LA center, you can cavort in snow, deserts, mountains, beaches. This is a multi-layered city unceremoniously built on hills, valleys, ravines. Flying into Burbank Airport in the day, you observe gradations of trees and earth. A city seems to be an afterthought, skyscrapers popping up from the greenery, guarded by the mighty San Gabriels. Layers of history reach deep, run red, scarring the soul of the city, a land where Chinese were lynched, Mexican resistance fighters hounded, workers and immigrants exploited, Japanese removed to concentration camps, blacks forced from farmlands in the south, then segregated, diminished. Here also are blessed native lands, where first peoples like the Tatavium and Tangva bonded with nature's gifts. People of peace, deep stature, loving hands. Yet for all my love, I also pour the poison time, starting with Spanish settlers, the missions where 80% of natives who lived and worked in them died, to the ruthless murder of Indians during and after the gold rush, the worst slaughter of tribes in the country. From all manner of uprisings, a city of acceptance began to emerge. This is Riot City after all. More civil disturbances in Los Angeles in the past 100 years than any other city. To truly love LA, you have to see it with different eyes. Askew, perhaps, beyond the fantasy-induced Hollywood spectacles. LA is also known for the most violent street gangs, the largest skid row, the greatest number of poor. 
Yet I loved LA even during heroin-induced nods, or running down rain-soaked alleys, or getting shot at, even when I slept in abandoned cars alongside the concrete river and during all-night movie showings in downtown Art Deco theaters. The city beckoned as I tried to escape the prison-like grip of its shallowness, sun-soaked emits, suburban quiet, all disarming, hiding the murder's heart that can be at its center. LA is also lovers' embraces, the most magnificent lies, the largest commercial ports, graveyard ships, poetry readings, murals, low-riding culture, skateboarding, a sound that hybridized black, Mexican, as well as Asian and white migrant cultures. You wouldn't have musicians like Richie Valens, The Doors, War, Los Lobos, Charles Wright and the Watts 103rd Street Rhythm Band, Hiroshima, Motley Crue, NWA, or Quetzal, without Los Angeles. Or John Fonte, Chester Hines, Charles Bukowski, Maricela Norte, and Wanda Coleman as its Chester poet. I love LA. I can't forget its smells. I love to make love in LA. It's a great city. A city without a handle, the world's most mixed metropolis of intolerance and divisions. How I love it, how I hate it. Zutsu riots, can't stay away. City of hunger, city of anger. Ruben Salazar, Rodney King, I like to kick its face in. Bone city, dried blood on walls, wildfires, taunting dove whales, car fumes and oil derricks, water thievery with every industry possible and still a one-industry town lined by those majestic palm trees. And like its people, with solid roots, supple trunks, resilient. You've been listening to a special presentation of A.G. Geiger Presents Tales from the L.A. Art Underworld. Before I list all the poets and their pieces, I'd like to acknowledge Nikkel Davis, who not only inspired the project, but also was instrumental in contacting several of the participants and in giving me notes as I went along. Not sure if she'll talk to me ever again, but I'm grateful for her help. A special shout out as well to Richard Modiano, poet and longtime driver behind the Beyond Baroque Literary Arts Center. He put me in touch with many of the artists and he read for the project as well. I'm indebted to all the poets who gave their talent and time, and I must say I I feel guilty about being able to have had such gifted writers read just to me over the phone. It was at once intimate and socially distant, but it was the best comfort we can afford in this time of quarantine, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. In order of appearance, we kicked it off with Myth by Ellen Maybe and the Ellen Maybe Band. Ellen has performed all over the country, including Bumbershoot, The Poetry Project, The New School, South by Southwest, and Lollapalooza. She opened for MTV's Spoken Word Tour in L.A., one of ten poets to watch in the new millennium. Her work has been included in numerous anthologies, and she can be found at ellenmaybe.net, and Ellen is spelled E-L-L-Y-N, ellenmaybe.net. Laurel Ann Bogan read Union Station and her signature favorite, Rat City. Well, it's one of my favorites, anyway. 
Laura Lann is the author of 11 books of poetry and short stories. She's been the literary curator at the L.A. County Museum of Art, an instructor of poetry and performance for the UCLA Extension Writers Program since 1990. She received the Outstanding Instructor of the Year in Creative Writing in 2008, and you can find out more about Laurel at laurelannbogan.com, and that's uh, Laurel, L-A-U-R-E-L, and without an E, and Bogan, B-O-G-E-N, laurelannbogan.com. Bill Cushing read his sketch of a moment in Koreatown. A Pushcart Prize nominee, Bill was named as one of the top 10 poets in L.A. in 2017 and his work was featured in a collection of regional poets by Moontide Press. You can read his poems and learn more at finishinglinepress.com. Lynn Thompson was the recipient of a fellowship from the city of L.A. in 2015. She's the author of three poetry chapbooks as well as two full-length collections, Start With a Small Guitar and Beg No Pardon. Winner of the Perugia Press Book Award and a Pushcart nominee, Thompson is the reviews and essays editor for the literary journal Spillway. Brendan Constantine is an ardent supporter of Southern California poetry communities and is one of its most recognized poets. He served as a teacher of poetry in local schools and colleges since 1995. His first collection, Letters to Guns, was released in February 2009 from Red Hand Press to wide acclaim. This was followed in 2011 by Birthday Girl with Possum, under the performance-based publisher, Right Bloody. Susan Hayden and John Groover McDuffie performed Her Life. Susan is a poet, playwright, novelist, and essayist. For over three decades, she's been a fixture in the L.A. spoken word community. She's the creator-producer of the long-running literary series Library Girl, now in its 11th year at the Ruskin Group Theater. John Groover McDuffie is a multi-talented musician and vocalist and a recording engineer and producer. He's musical director, guitarist, and background vocalist for pop icon Rita Coolidge. You can learn more about Susan at librarygirl.net. Suzanne Loomis is a poet, influential teacher, arts organizer, and impresario. She's associated with the poem noir, as well as the sensibility for which she was a major exponent, performance poetry. Together with Sherman Pearl, she founded the Los Angeles Poetry Festival, and since 1991, she's taught poetry workshops through the UCLA Extension Writers Program. You can find out more about her at SuzanneLemus.com. And Suzanne is S-U-Z-A-N-N-E, and Lemus is L-U-M-M-I-S. SuzanneLemus.com. Richard Modiano is the executive director of the Beyond Baroque Foundation based in Venice, California. Beyond Baroque opened in 1968 and is one of the nation's leading independent literary arts centers and public spaces dedicated to expanding the public's knowledge of poetry, literature, and art through cultural events and community interaction. He's a rank-and-file member of the Industrial Workers of the World and publisher of the Moon and Sun Review. Gail Ronsky, who read a brand new, as yet untitled piece, is the author, co-author, and translator of 12 books of poetry and prose, including the poetry collections Imperfect Pastorals, So Quick Bright Things, Poems for Infidels, and Dying for Beauty. She teaches poetry, poetry writing, and women's literature at Loyola Marymount University. 
Candace Kelsey read Ocean Park, and her debut book of poetry, Still I Am Pushing, is just out on Finishing Line Press. Her poetry has appeared in Poets Reading the News, Poet Lore, and others, and was recently nominated for a Pushcart Prize. Currently, she's working with the O Miami Poetry Festival on a really exciting project, and you can learn more about that in an interview I had with her just several weeks ago. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at CandiceKelsey1. That's Candice with a C and Kelsey, K-E-L-S-E-Y, and the numeral one. Nikel Davis is a California poet, collaborator, and performance artist. Her poetry collections include The Walled Wife, In the Circus of You, and Becoming Judas, all on Red Hand Press. Her poetry film collaborations with Cheryl Gross have been shown worldwide. Please learn more about this fantastic artist at NikelDavis.net, and Nikel is spelled N-I-C-E-L-L-E, Davis.net. Louise J. Rodriguez is an American poet, novelist, journalist, critic, and columnist. He was the 2014 Los Angeles Poet Laureate. Rodriguez is recognized as a major figure in contemporary Chicano literature. His best-known work, Always Running, La Vida Loca, Gang Days in L.A., received the Carl Sandburg Literary Award. Special thanks to Juan Canto, who provided the audio from Quetzal Flores. A.G. Geiger Presents is produced by me, Michael Delgado, in conjunction with the Mayfair Hotel, the music and artist management company Regime 72, and A.G. Geiger Fine Art Books. Check us out at MayfairLA.com, Regime72.com, and of course, A.G. Geiger.com. Thanks for listening.